This is the last coffee house. Thanks for listening. As an attorney, I generally don't buy what people have to say. People operate on self-interest and self-deceive even more than they deceive everyone else. So I wanted to have a look for myself what was going on here. George Floyd. Everybody should have heard the name by now. They should know most of the story. The cops were called because they believed he was passing fake $20 bills. Now whether he actually was is irrelevant. He had a criminal record, but that's only mildly relevant to determine whether he was likely to be on drugs, was violent, or likely to resist arrest. Now we have a video, thankfully, that shows the last two. As far as we know, he was on fentanyl. It is relevant, it changes the dynamic of the situation, but not to the degree necessary to exculpate the people who are involved here, and we'll see as we go along. Cops say he resisted arrest. When you watch the video, it looked to me like there was limited resistance. It seemed like he wasn't responding to instructions, and that could have been by virtue of intoxication, or that could have been by virtue of the fact that he was responding, but not doing it fast enough for the police. Because at one point, the officer pulls his gun from his holster, and it seemed like for an extended period of time, he was talking back and forth with Floyd. So, it was likely that Floyd wasn't putting his hands on the steering wheel. Either he was slow to do that, or he just decided he wasn't going to do that, likely the first one, given the way that the rest of it went. And then he was being pulled out of the car, and while he was being pulled out of the car, he seemed to be grabbing at the door. Now, that could have been just steadying himself, or that could have been attempts to resist arrest. And later, he explicitly refused to enter the police car. He said he was claustrophobic and wouldn't do it. So, now what does this have to do with the rest of it? Absolutely nothing. It's irrelevant. By the time that all of the most important things happened, he was compliant, he wasn't resisting, he wasn't even coming close to resisting. Now, as far as I can tell, it was about two minutes that he was in this prone position. It was about two minutes in when they called the EMS. They put in a code three call for an EMS. Now, this tells us a number of things. So, number one, they're on notice that he has some kind of condition and they took it seriously. He was complaining that he needed help, he needed medical attention. But they are now on notice that he has some kind of an impairment that they have to be aware of. Obviously, any suspect can lie about anything, but they took it seriously here. They accepted that he was saying that he had a problem, and there was only one man there, one man there, who did not take his health claim seriously. Now, everything up to that point, so prior to him being in that prone position, everything up to that point was within the reasonable bounds of interaction between police and suspects. I've been watching most recently, A&E has these cop shows where they show like a Cops doing just general pullovers and drug busts and all that sort of thing. And you can see the absolutely ridiculous spectrum of people that end up being cops and the way that people who are suspects act. Some of the cops are amazing and they do their job. They cut people breaks. They're doing the absolute best to make sure people get home safely, whoever they are, whatever they did. And some cops are just dicks who are trying to exert their authority. But it really gives you a good perspective on what this job is like and what you have to deal with day in, day out. But keep in mind that this kind of a profession is going to be attractive to a disproportionate amount of people who want to exert authority over people. It's just how it's going to work. Okay, so moving on to what happened next. Chauvin puts his knee on Floyd's neck. He puts his knee on Floyd's neck. Now, a moment is too long. When I saw just a photo of this, it looks and seems so very wrong. I've had to hold people down before, but I've used a knee on the back. I have never in my life put my knee on somebody's neck. 
that seems absolutely ridiculous to me, even for a moment. Nine minutes to me is unbelievable. It's absolutely ridiculous. And nine minutes as a person calls out that he can't breathe is just the kind of absolute wrong that you don't ever expect to see in these kinds of situations. If you have any empathy whatsoever for human beings in general, if you're doing your job in any way that even flirts with acceptability, then you're not putting your knee on somebody's neck for an extended period of time when they're complaining and EMS has been called. Once you're on that notice, you don't do that. Now, he's, he's saying, Floyd is saying at this time very clearly that he can't breathe. So this suggests it's not the regular kind of asphyxiation that anybody would expect. The family commission doctor specifically said that he could still be undergoing that process and be able to speak clearly. My non-medical opinion is that he was suffering a systemic failure that involved the, the stress, the pressure, his heart, and the fentanyl all working together, and he interpreted this systemic failure as being unable to breathe. His air passage, because he could speak so clearly, his air passage wasn't traditionally obstructed in the way that we think of this kind of an ailment, and the blood flow to his brain wasn't obstructed, as far as we can tell, so it had something, it had to do with something else. Now this isn't relevant to much of what we're talking about, but it could be relevant to causation in the way you analyze that. So generally, you're going to take the person as you find them under the law, and if you engage in conduct and the person that you're engaging in that illegal conduct to is particularly susceptible in a way that another person would not be, you're generally still going to be responsible for that kind of a thing. Now, all the officers involved were fired. All were eventually charged. Chauvin originally received a third degree charge. It was now elevated to a second degree, which could be really bad, actually, if second degree is an intent murder. If you have to prove intent, that could be a real problem going forward. Showing a reckless disregard for life would be much easier to show on these kinds of facts. And one thing to keep in mind, mob agitation should never be in the calculus for applying justice. Now, there are some situations where police unions and powerful people try to obscure the view of a violation of the law, and sunlight is the best disinfectant, and sometimes you need agitation, you need people speaking loudly to make sure that it gets the proper sunlight. But the entire point of the legal system is to take passion out of it. It's specifically not about emotional outbursts. It's about a dispassionate application of standards that we all agree on, common standards, to make a determination on whether a law has been broken and what kind of punishment is necessary. In these kinds of national cases, everyone forms an opinion immediately without any legal expertise whatsoever and before the evidence has been marshaled, before you've gone through that process to get all the evidence together. So this aggravation of the charge could be a serious problem. It could leave enough room for Chauvin to be able to evade these charges. Now, it's unlikely that the guy's going to be able to get a fair trial anywhere. You could send him to an isolated tribe in New Guinea with no TV and no internet and they're gonna shout black lives matter and burn him however this change this change from a reckless disregard to an intent standard could help him evade these charges intent is gonna be nigh impossible i'm not a criminal attorney generally so i could be wrong on this but intent is gonna be nigh impossible to prove on these facts alone and you have to be able to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt so it's it's really dangerous to play with this there's a possibility of felony murder. Chauvin was engaged in a battery, an unwanted touching that at least may have caused serious bodily injury. So for felony murder, depending on the jurisdiction, if you cause a death, even by accident, in the commission of a felony, your charge is elevated to felony murder. So it's a possibility. The autopsies. The autopsies have moderately conflicting information. One commissioned by the police said he died of a heart condition, high blood pressure, and the fentanyl underlying conditions 
Obviously, the police are likely or could have at least biased doctors that they commission for these kinds of things and have on contract. I've seen this with employers. The one commissioned by the family said he died of asphyxiation solely because of the need in the neck and it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with underlying conditions. The family definitely has biased doctors. <laughs> As a lawyer, I know you can shop around for doctors until they say what you want to say and this particular doctor actually gave an opinion on a previous high-profile police brutality case that we all have heard of. So it's, there's a great likelihood that there's some bias going on in that as well. Now the only reports that I've seen about the method these doctors used that were commissioned by the family, the only reports that I've seen say that the doctor just watched the video, that they didn't have access to the actual body. So if that's wrong, if they did have direct access, you know, who knows, It's it might change a little bit, but this is mostly a non-issue because both ruled it a homicide and whether it's asphyxia with no underlying condition or the underlying condition was exacerbated by police conduct, the moral turpitude is the same. The guy was still engaging in Chauvin being the guy was still engaging in outrageous conduct and he had to take the person as they lied. Now it could affect the way the standards are applied in that jurisdiction, but still. So at the same time, you know, if you have a traffic stop and say I have a heart condition and a police officer comes up to my window and says, you know, you have a tail light out and I go, oh Lord, and, and pass away from a heart attack. The police officer isn't going to be held responsible. There's a negligence standard. It's a higher standard for criminal. Police officers have a duty to protect the people in their charge. A need of the neck is not going to be considered reasonable under these standards, and it's likely going to meet an extreme standard that's necessary for a negligent kind of homicide situation, but they would have to be charging with third-degree manslaughter, negligent homicide, that kind of a thing. Now, the most egregious part to me, just talk about the facts a little bit, the most egregious part to me, 100%, was that Chauvin put his hands in his pockets. That's absolutely disgusting. If you have any regard whatsoever, if you have any empathy for a person who's in distress, it's really easy, even if you feel like you have to keep this person down because you're worried about what they might do. Now, when they were taking him out of the car, he didn't seem capable of being much of a physical threat. That's what it seemed like to me, and he didn't express any interest in being threatening to the police officers that I saw. He might have resisted a little bit here and there in saying that he didn't want to get in the police car, that sort of thing, and he may have been slow because of what he was under the influence of if he was, in fact, under the influence, but he didn't seem to me floor didn't seem to me to have to exhibit anything that suggested that he was a danger or a threat to the police officers. So if at this time when he's completely subdued for this police officer, Chauvin, to put his knee on his neck and put his hands in his pockets, that's putting the full weight on this person. He could have put his hands out because they were next to a car. He could have put his hands out, propped himself up so he could adjust the amount of pressure that he was putting on this person. But he didn't do that. He put his hands in his pockets. That's absolutely insane to me. I can't even imagine being in that situation and thinking, no matter who's underneath me, and thinking that that was okay. I, I can't imagine any person thinking it was okay to put a knee on a neck, but even if they went that crazy, to put the knee on the neck and put your hands in your pockets is absolutely insane to me. So that's George Floyd. That's what happened with George Floyd. I wanted to talk about Tony Tempa. It's a name that I'm sure most people have not heard of. Tony Tempa was killed in August 2016, and Tony Tempa was white. Now, I wonder what changed soon after August 2016, what world event happened that could have changed the way people look at national stories. He called the police for help because he didn't have his medication for psychological ailments. So he called 
called the police because he was trying to get help. The police showed up. Timpa expressed concern when the police got there that they were going to kill him. He was worried about this. He said, you're going to kill me. You're going to kill me. You're going to kill me. He's saying, I need help. You're going to kill me. He wailed and cried. The officers pinned his shoulders, knees, and neck to the ground. They put him in handcuffs. They bound his ankles with zip ties. He continued to plead for help. They buried his nose in the grass. He fell unconscious. They didn't check his breathing or his pulse. In their report, the officers themselves said he never resisted and never threatened officers. They began mocking him as he died. They said, it's time for school. They said, I don't want to go to school. Five more minutes, mom. And they're all laughing about this stuff. This event went on for 14 minutes, almost the entire time a police officer had a knee in his back. He was dead by the time the ambulance got there. The death was ruled a homicide. And just like Floyd, it was physical restraint coupled with drug impairment. As a result, there were no riots, no movements, there was a single news cycle, and that was it. Because the cases were so similar, you can apply the same criminal analysis. The issue here is the framing. What is the frame that is being put on this whole sequence of events right now? It's that it's about racism. It's about racism. Now, we didn't even wait, we're not even interested in, at this point, as a nation, we're not even interested in evidence of whether it was about race or not. But the fact that Tony Tempest's case and George Floyd's case are so similar and the treatment and the response is so different and people are still able right now and be supported by the media to claim some kind of broad racism mandate as a result of this is wrong. This is the framing that's being used. You saw it with COVID-19. They said COVID-19 was about racism. I saw multiple stories about this because it disproportionately affects minorities, but it disproportionately affected men and we didn't talk about it as a gender issue. I was just looking for a compilation of all the videos about George Floyd that I could find. I just wanted to see all the videos that, that depicted what happened to George Floyd. And I got an ad of Sesame Street characters saying they were going to talk to kids about the protests and racism. This is not education. This is indoctrination of a political viewpoint. Left, right, and center. Let's, let's talk about what does the left see happen here. They say what happened was wrong. They say, look at the institutional racism. This is exactly what we've been saying all along. Rioting might be bad, but systematically violating the rights of black people for centuries is worse. And the rioting is just dealing with stuff. Okay, what does the right say about this? What happened was wrong. The officers involved were fired. They were arrested. They have been charged. That's how it's supposed to work. Everybody agrees what happened was wrong. So is rioting. This is not evidence of institutional racism. You still haven't defined that. This is evidence of one guy in one place. What does the center say? What happened was wrong. There's probably some racism we have to deal with still. This injustice means more than more than just what happened between these people, and we have to show solidarity so the woke mob doesn't burn down my store or get me fired. What's my analysis? My analysis is that we're in the era of the great patronizing. We act as though black people are somehow not subject to confirmation bias. We act like the Dunning-Kruger effect can't apply to black people. Every time we screech that black people are victims, while we have little to no understanding of statistics or the empirical data, we are doing a disservice to black kids. They're being told that they are not individuals, not agents, not personally responsible for their futures, that they are products of a system and must conform to what the black quote community is, says, believes, and does. This is not in anybody's best interest and especially not in theirs. Black people do not have some special knowledge about race relations or the best way to build a brighter future, even if they pretend they do. 
People are self-serving creatures. They vomit bias every time they speak. That's why we have science and why people, especially, quote, activists, need to get over themselves. You are not special or important because you regurgitated the party line to your followers. I have seen so many self-important intros where they just, they just stop and they're so serious and dire and say, I realized it was important that I speak up. No, no, it wasn't. This isn't about change or understanding the problem, it's about self-serving attention. I just wanted to share this study when it came to the Dunning-Kruger effect because it is apropos of our current moment relative to other countries. The study, Divergent Consequences of Success and Failure in Japan and North America, an Investigation of Self-Improving Motivations and Malleable Selves, indicated that Japanese people tended to underestimate their abilities and tended to see underachievement or failure as an opportunity to improve their abilities at a given task, thereby increasing their value to the social group. So Americans are over here pretending they are an expert on everything because they spent 20 minutes on Google, while Japanese people can't wait to improve themselves. That's why I'm moving to Nintendo Land. Every single protester, you are failing basic logic. An anecdote is not sufficient to establish a complex proposition. Studies from a Harvard researcher with the National Bureau of Economic Research and a study from the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences both found no racial disparities when it came to use of extreme force by police officers. Every single protester, you are furthering fear-mongering tactics, taking the actions of a very few like a handful of police officers and pretending that they represent the entire group to gin up outrage is fear-mongering. The vast majority don't engage in this type of conduct. It happened in the 90s with black people who were being overly depicted as criminals in evening news until people called it out. It happened in 2000s with Muslims until people called it out. It's happening now with police and white people. You are being lied to and used by politicians and the mainstream media. They and celebrities are not on your side. They are out for themselves and more than anything. They don't want you to come after them because they have way more money and privilege than you can possibly imagine. We are destroying self-responsibility as a concept. People are being tied to their group first. They say you are not an individual with your own likes, dislikes, personality, goals, challenges, and triumphs. You are a member of a group and you must act in accordance. Don't get woke. Woke is pretending to know something you don't so you fit in. Get educated. You have a responsibility to yourself and everyone else to be the best you can be. Thank you for listening. This is The Last Coffee House. Bye. (laughs) 